Well, welcome. If this is your first time with us, my name is Matt. I'm so thankful that you're here. You may not know a whole lot about Bethany, so let me just kind of uh, explain who we are. We are a, a non-denominational church that has campuses here at Washington and in Princeton, Indiana, and in Vincennes, Indiana. We have a whole bunch of people right now joining us online. I want to welcome all you in, and we have folks in our fireside venue that are meeting here on this campus, just in a different, just in a different venue space. And I'm thankful that you're you're joining as well. And if this is your first time with us, I'm grateful that you're here. This is our second sermon in this series as we've been answering the questions that Jesus asked. There's a lot of questions that Jesus had asked. We're trying to narrow it down to about five. Last week, the question was posed by Jesus, who do you say that I am? Now, the way that you answer that question will be life-changing forever. Uh, Evan, who preached that message, said, listen, it basically comes down to the three things, liar, lunatic, or Lord. And uh, there are several that said he is Lord last week. And in their proclamation of calling him Lord, they said, I can't just hold on to that belief and do nothing with it. I have to act it out. And faith is a verb. Faith is action. And so they decided to do something with their belief. You can believe in a lot of things, but if you don't do anything with it, do you really have faith? And so they believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and they stepped out in faith and were baptized into Christ. And friends, that changed their trajectory for eternity, forever. And maybe you were there last week and you thought, I need to be doing that. You know, I'm just, it just kind of hit you in that moment. I need to be doing that. But for, for some reason, something came over you to, to not take that step, to not step out in faith. Maybe it was some kind of faith tradition that you were a part of one time or family tradition. Maybe you felt like you're gonna let someone down. Listen, listen, I'm not trying to pressure you, but I'm also not wanting you to delay either. What is the reason that you're not coming forward to give your life to Jesus if you believe that he is the Christ. Why not couple that with faith and be baptized into Jesus Christ and to to live for him forever? And so today could be your day as well. If you're still answering that question, who do you say that I am? And you call him Lord, let today be the day of salvation and trust your life to Jesus. Hey, the second question that Jesus asks that we're gonna look at is found in Luke chapter six. Turn with me there, it's page 837 in the Bible that the church provides. There's one in the chair rack in front of you. And as you turn there, let me give you a little context to how this question is set up because that will help us understand it in a greater way. Jesus is preaching a what we would call a pocket sermon, meaning one that he knew. I mean, it was memorized and he preached this sermon often and it was something he had preached before. You, you heard it said before in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. There it's titled the Sermon on the Mount. Here it's titled the Sermon on the Plain. He wasn't on the mountaintop, he was just on the plains. And so I love that Jesus is, His sermons are titled by where he's at. So this is like the sermon on the stage today. If you're watching this broadcast, the sermon on the screen. And so Jesus has this pocket sermon. People know it. The disciples know it. He knows it. He changes it up from here to there a little bit. And to understand what, what the question is and to answer it right, you have to know what what's before it. And the illustration before the question is this, just quick, quick illustration about a healthy tree, that healthy trees produce healthy fruit. Pretty simple stuff. As a matter of fact, he summarizes it like this in Luke 6. He says, a good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. So like, you know, it's from the heart, all things flow. And he's saying, if good is resting in your heart, good things will come out of it. That's, that's the source of it, just like the roots of a tree. So it's the context that sets up this question of Jesus. Here's the question. The question is, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do 
what I say. Jesus is asking this question, but I, I need to give you the tone. Because some of us have placed ourselves in a position where we're like child and that's parent. And you're hearing dad right now or mom right now saying, why can't you just do what I ask you to do? And can I just give you the assurance that he's not frustrated as he, as he asks this question. He's not frustrated with his disciples. He's not frustrated with his audience. He's not upset. He's not agitated. Now he just, he just has this question like a good communicator to say, would you process this for a moment? Process this. Internalize it. Let it digest for a little bit. Let it get from your heart, travel the nine inches, or from your head to your heart, travel those nine inches to get there. It's a difficult journey, but, but Jesus is saying, I want you to understand why, why it is that you call me Lord, but you don't do what I ask you to do. And just think, think upon it. And Jesus is asking this question to help the followers see that being a disciple of Jesus is more than just saying the right things. It's about doing the right things. So it's, it's not just about lip service, it's about lifestyle. And so Jesus is saying, I don't want you to be this hypocritical figure because people don't like hypocritical people. It's like the politicians. You know, they, it seems like these politicians, the reason why we get so aggravated and frustrated with them is because they promise these huge, grandiose things as they're trying to be elected. They get into office and we're like, why aren't you doing what you promised or said you would do? And they just don't seem to be able to accomplish all those promises. And we look at Congress and the Senate. We even look at our own local government. We're like, can you just follow through with the promises that you made when you were on, on the election trail? And Jesus asked the question, why do you call me Lord and then don't do what I say? He's asking his followers, am I just lip service? Or, or are you truly basing your lifestyle off of me? Like, are you promising all these things that you'll do but you'll never get around to doing them. Just to kind of define this a little better before we go even deeper into this teaching, let's define what Jesus is actually question, saying in, in the main, main point of his question. Let's define what Lord means. And he says it twice after all. I mean, it's something he's actually emphasizing. Lord, Lord. So what does it mean? Well, in the context as it relates to Jesus, it means two things in the scriptures. Number one, it just is a reference to respect. So like if you've ever been down south and you're at a restaurant, I mean, it just seems like everybody calls the waiter or wait staff, sir, ma'am, and right back at you, right? Like, what do you want, sir, ma'am? What would you like to have, sir? What would you like to have? Uh, every now and then you get sweetie. I don't like sweetie. I don't like to be called sweetie, but whatever. Uh, sir, ma'am, and that's that title of respect. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like, does that, does that waiter or waitress have authority over you? Not really, right? Just has the authority to bring out the food to you, but that's about it. But, so, but why, why the respect? Because you've been taught to treat everybody with a level of respect. And so you title them with respect. And so it's just a, a societal pattern to appendage that word. And sometimes it's used in a reference to Jesus when people want something. <laughs> that's usually what happens, right? Like when, when, when we want something from someone, we, we get... Title form all of a sudden. I mean, you know, when we're driving down the highway and we're going too fast, there's a cop. And then when the cop pulls you over, hello, officer. Like we changed the title, right, out of a, a level of respect. And, and that's what happens here with Jesus in Matthew chapter 8. Here's one way to use it as respect. A man has leprosy, a terrible disease. He recognizes Jesus is his only solution to being healed. And here's how he starts off his request. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Just a simple phrase, just a simple term to mean, I respect you, I respect your authority, I respect who you are, sir, ma'am, would you make me clean? But you contrast that with what the word Lord means in Jesus' question in Luke 6, 
which is not a title of respect necessarily, but a title of authority. It really lands into the placement where you see Thomas, who after the resurrection of Jesus doesn't quite believe that Jesus was bodily resurrected from the grave. And so all the disciples are holed up in this little room and the disciples are trying to tell Thomas, I know you have doubts, but you gotta believe us that we saw Jesus bodily resurrected. And I love Thomas because I'm a guy like Thomas. I'm not gonna believe it until I see it. And Jesus, I love this about Jesus because you might have doubts about Jesus. He respects your doubts and he wants to prove himself even in the middle of your, your doubts that have created a cloud. And so he, he approaches Thomas. He appears before Thomas and he says, listen, just touch the wounds where I've been crucified. Just touch the wounds where they've placed the spear. And Thomas does that. And he recognizes that Jesus isn't ghost. He's, he's bodily resurrected from the grave just as the disciples around him had claimed and just as Jesus had claimed he was due. And, and here's, here's what Thomas says about that in John chapter 20. He says, my Lord and my God. So he places the term of respect, you are Lord, but here's what he's really saying. You are the one that is in authority. You have charge over death. You have charge over life because you've defeated it. You have victory over it. You have say above it. You may not have noticed this, even even if, you you know, you might be the greatest Bible scholar. You may have not noticed this, but that following that statement of Thomas, my Lord, my God, there's a statement of the apostles that continues on in the book of Acts. And it's, it's, it's termed time and time again. Paul even uses it in his epistles. It's this really easy statement. Jesus is Lord. Not a political statement. Some, are, some preachers are calling this a political statement. No, if you're looking it through a political lens, yes. But Jesus never meant that as a political statement. Nor did the apostles. You know what they meant it to be? Jesus has authority over all things. He is God, and therefore he is God. He has authority over everything. And the Apostle Paul even says that Jesus knits it all together, keeps it all together, holds it all together, and nothing can can be held together unless Jesus is in the glue of it. Jesus is Lord. He has charge over all things, living, dead, spiritual, eternal, temporal, physical. He has charge over all things. And when Jesus asks this question of us, in Luke 6, why do you say, I am in charge of all things? Why do you call me Lord and don't do what I say? Let's put it to you like this in this kind of phrasing. Why do you say that I'm the ultimate authority, but then you go and do whatever you want? And that's, again, not said out of aggravation, just think through it. And Jesus does what Jesus often does, he answers his own question, and here's how he answers his own question. Come, there's a complexity to it, but he answers his own question in Luke 6. Take a look there with me. Luke 6, let's start in verse, let's start after he asks the question, and, and let's look at verse 47. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a home who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck the house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Did you catch the answer to Jesus' question there? Because he answers it himself. Why do you call me Lord, but don't do what I say? 
You probably didn't because it's not an easy answer. Here's the story. Two homes, two foundations, one storm, two builders. And Jesus points out that what you, it's not what you build on top. Did you catch this? It's not what you build on top. It's what you build upon. It's what's below. So like in my mind, in my mind, I have this picture as Jesus tells the story of two identical homes. I don't know what's in your mind, but I have this picture of two identical homes that look exactly the same on top, but beneath the surface are starkly different, completely different. The foundations are completely different. You've seen the news, like where people are building homes on cliffs like Malibu, California, and you're like, the hill's sliding down, the house is about ready to careen down the hill, and you're thinking, what in the world were you thinking building that multi-million dollar home on that cliff, knowing knowing that you, you must not have paid too much attention to the foundation? Like, why would you do such a thing? And yet every single year you hear about the mudslides, you hear about a house that's about ready to fall off into the ocean. And you just think, did they not consider the foundation? I recently saw a post about a house that was up for sale a few years ago. This is a beautiful home in Texas. It overlooks Lake Whitney. It was built in 2007, 7,000 square foot home. The inside is lavish. The description that the realtor had put on there to sell the home just simply said, motivated seller. And when potential buyers came by the house, they found that the owner was motivated to sell. Can you imagine trying to sell that thing as a realtor? Like, what do you have to say? What do you have to, you have to get really inventive, right? Can you imagine the description? Motivated seller, this house has a breathtaking, unobstructed view of Lake Whitney. No backyard to mow. Only a beautiful overlook of the lake. Get it before it slips away. That's what I would have wrote. Of course that house never sold, right? People took one look at it and were like, uh, yeah, that's, that's not for me. Uh, just, it, no, it's just too oversized. <laughs> you know, no, the, no it's, the fact it's going to fall off a cliff anytime. Anytime. It was condemned, destroyed in 2014, barely had a seven-year lifespan. The house was built on a ginormous limestone cliff. Now, you would think limestone, that's a great foundation, that's a wonderful foundation to put your house on. That'd be a great foundation to build upon. Here's the problem. They never check the integrity of the limestone. Like while it is, it also ain't. Because if the limestone is no good and you don't check the integrity of the limestone before you build, it, well, you, you fall right off into Lake Whitney. Friends, that was someone's dream home right there. A, a beautiful home with a bad foundation will fall. Just as a successful life with a godless foundation will fail. Jesus answers his question, why do you call me Lord and then you don't do what, what I say? And I think the simple answer that most of us would have is because we didn't really build our life on the foundation of your word. Now, I know there's a lot of Christians that say they have. You might be one of them. Like, hey, no, 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 no. You don't, pastor, this ain't me. This ain't me. You see, I have built my life on the foundation of Jesus. Like every decision, every thought, every practice, every principle that of Jesus, it guides my life. 
Jesus would say, is it lift service or is it lifestyle? Because here's the truth about this text. One day, all your talk will be tested. All of it. All your boasts and proclamations about who God is to you will be tested one day. And you will be the one that will know. I mean, maybe you can fool others, but you're never going to fool yourself. You're certainly not going to fool God if your walk matches your talk. And when the trials come, that's when it's going to happen. Just trials. Just some pain in life, some pushback, some tension. When the marriage gets rocky, when the children start to rebel, when the job gets shaky, and you're wondering if there's going to be a layoff notice on Friday, that's when the merit, that's when the test, the tail of the tape's going to happen, that one day your talk will all be tested. And it will be discovered. Did you really build your life on the foundation of Jesus? Or was it just lip service, something that you just proclaimed? You're our Lord, but you never really lived it out. You see, the metaphor that Jesus is using here, the metaphor is, is not just about two homes, two foundations, and one storm. The metaphor is about building your life on Jesus. It's about the builder. It's about you. That's, that's the metaphor. The metaphor is really about trust, obedience, and about you. Do you trust and believe and obey that Jesus really is the rock that you should build your life upon? That he is the foundation of all of life, but certainly your life. And while we often apply this story, like so often we apply this story and say, man, we should all build our life on the foundation and the word of God. We should, that's absolutely correct. We should all build our life on the foundation and the word of God. And Jesus' example and his teachings, that's what should be foundational to our life. You're absolutely right. That should be. But it's not, listen, so many times we're like, that's what we, but we include ourselves in building the structure, but also building the foundation. And Jesus is like, no, 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 you're not to build the foundation, See, this is where we've got it wrong. We think we're building the foundation too. No, 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 no. You, you, the foundation's already preformed. And you know what that tells me about a preformed foundation? It dictates the look of the structure. The form of the foundation dictates the form and structure above it. So, I, you know, I mean, you can just, let me just think abstractly. When Christ Jesus is your foundation, you're kind of limited on how you can build your life. Because the, the foundation's already been formed for you. You just have to build your structure to it. And then if Christ Jesus is the foundation of our life, like he's a preformed foundation, you didn't have a say in that foundation, friend. You didn't get to have any say in it. You just were a wise builder that decided that's the best foundation to build my life upon. But once you build your life on the foundation of Jesus, you kind of have now this structure that has to be built to be placed on top of the same form and look as the foundation. Let me, let me just explain to you like this. 2013, we relocated from Montgomery to here for our first campus in Washington. And when we did that, we sat down with architects because we heard that this 60 acres of land had some people back in the 1800s just kind of mined their own mines to dig for coal so they could heat their homes. They weren't licensed mines, and so no chart would pick them up. So through that rumor, we had all sorts of geologists and drillers and people making sure that the foundation for this property, that if we built upon it, would be solid enough, have the integrity to hold a building tens of thousands of square feet. And by the way, you're safe, okay? You're safe, by the way. 
And then beyond that, we had to work with engineers. Beyond that, we had to work with architects. Beyond that, we had to work with interior designers. Beyond that, we had to work with, with traffic people. You're like, you should have fired your traffic people because the traffic's terrible. Okay, I get it. But we worked with a lot of people. And here's what we did. We put more time and effort into the planning and preparation of this building than we did into the building of this building. And that's the way it works. If you ever built something that is tens of thousands of square feet with multi-millions of dollars and takes all sorts of different contractors to pull it off, the planning, the planning has to be there for the build to go smoothly. And there's usually more time in the planning. Friends, you may never consider this, that God has planned your life. And he has thought through it. And he's got plans for your life. That God has a foundation for your life that he wants you to build a structure upon but he wants you to do it in his way, in his scheme. He's the architect of all of this stuff. And you can determine to break away from the foundation and build something different. Friends, I think you can even determine to build something different on the foundation. And you're gonna find out that anything that's not on the rock is gonna fall apart one day. And I think there's some Christians that have built a little bit on the foundation of Jesus and decided to kind of expand beyond that and build on some other foundations. And, and you got some rooms on the rock but you also have some rubes on some sinking sand that, that one day will be tested by the, the torrent of trouble that will come our way in life. And I think the reason why there's so much tension in Christians is because we look at the plan that God has for us and the form of foundation that he has for us, and we think, can I be happy on that form? Because I'm building my dream life right now. And my dream life may not look like the home that God's constructed for me. Now, I don't think most Christians, I don't think any Christians like, you know, I don't want to build on the foundation of Jesus. I don't think it works like that. I think we, we just don't get, we don't consider the foundations of Jesus. Like when you accepted your job, did you consider the foundation of Jesus? When you just jumped into the relationship, did you consider the foundation of Jesus? As it applies to your budget, do you consider the foundation of Jesus? As you lead your business, do you consider the foundations of Jesus? As you lead your family, as you... As you love your spouse, as you raise your kids, as you choose your entertainment, the list could go on and on and on. Do you consider the foundations of Jesus? Or do you say, I want my home built the way I want it built, and I will not let anybody dictate to me the structure? Like that home built on the limestone cliff of Lake Whitney. Certainly someone said, I don't know, you know, building a house that close to the edge might be a little risky. The builder probably said, I'm going to do it my way. My wife and I have always dreamt of a home looking over Lake Whitney. There's so many believers working to build a life of their dreams right now. And my question to you is, could it be that you're building the life of your dreams on a foundation other than Jesus? Could it be? And that tension that you feel, that tension that you sometimes feel like, I don't know, this, is, this doesn't seem to be working right. There's gotta be a better way, a different way. Oh man, this is so difficult that maybe... Maybe that tension is there because you're not living under God's plan, but you're living on something that you've built on a different form, a different foundation all together. So do you believe, do you believe that God has a better plan for your life than the plans that you're now making for your life? That's the question. Because if, if this metaphor is about trust and obedience, do you believe, do you trust that God has better plans for your life than the, the plans that you're dreaming right now for your life? Let me state it to you like this. Do you believe that the life that God has constructed for you to live is far better than the life of your dreams that you're attempting to build right now? Do you believe that? Like right now, you know, like so many in our community and 
around our region, the whole United States, they at one point within this year had considered probably leaving their home, selling their home, trying to get big money out of their home, and then, and then moving to a new home. Like, that probably crossed most of your minds, like, right? Housing market's so high, you're like, honey, maybe we should just sell our house right now, and then, then your husband or your, your wife is all of a sudden now the intellectual giant in the room. They're like, but if we sell our house for a pretty penny, we're gonna have to buy a house for a pretty penny. This doesn't seem to work out. And so you're, you're like doing the estimates in your head, right? So you're like, okay, well, the housing market is high. I know we could get a lot for our home, and I know, but it's gonna cost us a lot of money to buy a home. Okay, well, it, well, it seems like mortgage rates are going up right now. I don't know when they're gonna fall. And so you're, count, you're considering the cost, and you're thinking through this, and you're like, well, maybe we'll just build. Then you're like, oh, no, construction is so high right now. Lumber is so high. Materials are so high. Some of the materials are hard to get. Maybe we'll just remodel. No, no, construction costs again. You know what, honey? Let's just stay put. Right? That's like, that's like always the conclusion. Let's just, ah, now's not the time. Let's stay. Let's just stay put. What'd you do? You just considered the cost of moving. And I think that most of us have concluded when faced with the question, why do you why do you call me Lord, but don't do what I say? I think we've, we've considered the cost of moving and said, "Woo, no way. It's just too expensive, Jesus. We have built this life on this other foundation. We've built these rooms on some other foundation. You're trying to tell me right now I've got to tear them down, relocate? Everything I've built my life on, this structure, you're trying to tell me right now that it's, it's got to be, I mean, at, at minimum, a huge remodel? I don't think so. Too costly. I've already invested too much. So why, why, why don't people build their life on the foundation of Jesus? I'll tell you why. Because they already built their life on the foundation somewhere else, a different foundation. And they're like, I can't, I can't, I can't sacrifice to make the move. That's what it comes down to. I can't sacrifice my opinions. I can't sacrifice my decisions. I can't sacrifice the way I spend and save and give. I can't sacrifice the way I do relationships. I can't sacrifice how I do my job and relate to my boss and my friends. I can't sacrifice that because I've built this whole other thing here. And now I'm being told that maybe the tension that I'm feeling in my life is because I built on the wrong foundation. And now I'm being asked to move. It's too costly. Too costly. Like the rich young ruler who comes before Jesus. You know this story. Young man filled with rule and riches and he comes before Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Meaning, I went to the store, I couldn't buy eternal life. I went to the stock market, I couldn't invest in eternal life. Jesus, it seems like you're the only one who's handing out eternal life and I can't buy it, so how do I receive it from you? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? You know why? Because that's how he saw Jesus. He can do good things for me. He should have said, godly teacher or Lord. You have authority over all things. But he says, good. And then Jesus says, hey, listen. Okay, you call me good. What must I do in her eternal life? Here's what you need to do. And he lands on, do you remember what he does? He points him to the Old Testament. He points him to the Ten Commandments. And he points him to one tablet of the Ten Commandments. Remember Charlton Heston? I mean, Moses came down the mountain with two tablets. Some of, you, some of you are like, I don't even know who Charlton Heston is. That's an old school reference. Yes, it is. I'm 45. I barely caught the tail end of the guy. So Moses comes in. He has the two tablets. One tablet is all about the way in which relate, we relate to each other. 
You guys didn't know, you guys look at me like, huh, what? Yes, one tablet was about how we relate to each other, how we be good citizens to one another. The other tablet was about how we relate to God and how we love him and how we live a holy life. And so Jesus, the answer that Jesus gives this young man about how to inherit eternal life is not even said. So Jesus says to the guy, you know the commandments, and he lists off one commandment. You tell me what tablet this is. He says, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. Where are those five found? On how to relate to one another. And Jesus says, you know all about how to live in society. You know how to help people and you know how to be good to people. That is awesome. And that's the foundation that you built your life upon. How to be good to people and how to help people. That's good stuff. And everybody in the world is gonna say, you are so amazing for being a good person and being a helping person. But you know what you've missed out on and you know why you won't get eternal life? Because you did not build your life on this other tablet, the foundations to say, how can I be holy and how can I be godly? Not about helping and being good. It's about being holy and being godly. And out of being holy and godly, you'll be helping and be doing good. But not the opposite. And Jesus never has to say that. And so the guy says, yeah, I've done all of it. <laughs> I did all those five things. You asked me, I've done all of it. And so Jesus says, as he lands on this idea of trust and obedience, he says, then you need to sell off all of your riches and lose your rule. Lose your authority. Why do you think he would say that? Not because the guy had a bunch of money and Jesus wanted to get rich quick. He wanted to see if the guy could submit himself to the lordship of God and land under the other tablet to love the Lord your God only, heart, soul, mind, and strength. If he really is your foundation, you would submit and you'd leave that all behind and you'd come and you'd structure your life on the foundation of that tablet of being holy and being godly. That's where you'd land. And the, the Bible says of that story that the guy walks away sad. You know why? It says this word, because he was so rich. He had so much wealth. Well, what does that mean? It was too costly. It was too costly. I'll just keep being good and helping. But it was too costly to be holy and to be godly. One will get you eternal life and the other won't. And it makes me wonder, friends, if we have been building our life on that same tablet, that same foundation. Though biblical, though good, it's just the fruit, but not the root. It's just the structure but not the foundation. Because the foundation is the first tablet of being godly and holy will lead to being good and helping. So have you built your life on the right foundation? Let me, let me ask you it like this. Do your political views supersede the lordship of Jesus? Does popular opinion override what you now think are ancient scriptures? Does the entertainment that you're searching for and the pleasure that you're desiring and crave, does that supersede 
the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. Listen, the, the list could go on and on. The relationships, the selfish ambitions, does that all supersede the lordship of Jesus Christ? Let me put it to you like this in this question. You claim Jesus is Lord, but where are you building your life on that belief? Your structure is gonna show the foundation. So let, let me just take six general areas of your life and you can think through them briefly, quickly. Just think through these six areas of your life introspectively and you can determine, is Jesus your foundation intellectually? He's affected your mind. You now have a biblical worldview. You see the, you see the world through the, the Bible and the way God sees it, not as like, you know, a Democrat, Republican, independent, libertarian, you know, whatever, a, a green, green party. You're not, you're not seeing it that way. You're seeing it through the lens of the Bible, the way God sees it. Has, has Jesus become the foundation of your intellect? Has Jesus become the foundation for your emotions, emotionally? Or, or do you not have any self-control? You just get pulled by whatever it is that is in front of you, pulled by whatever movement of the heart, heartstrings are pulled. That's the direction you're gonna go. Or has God developed that fruit of the spirit within you because he's your foundation that you have self-control now? That self-control now is leading you to godliness and to be like, it's not like you have a full handle of yourself, but every day you're recognizing I, I have a greater control of myself today because of Christ in me than I had yesterday. See control of your emotions or are you letting your emotions fool you and getting tricked by your emotions? Is Jesus your foundation spiritually? You're like, that's a funny question. Is Jesus my foundation? Of course it is. No, no, no. Spiritually, like, are you depending on his grace or are you still trying to do something to earn God's favor? Like, did Jesus, what he did on the cross, is it done or are you still trying to do something? Are you just resting in God's grace? Like, I know you have sin and I, I have sin. I know you have some things where you're like, I'm still falling short of God's glory. I know that. But have you rested in the fact that even in your sin, Christ Jesus has saved you from that and has covered you with his blood and now you are right and holy because of what Christ has done, not what you were doing. Is he the foundation spiritually? Is Jesus your foundation financially? Like are your saving decisions, your spending decisions, your giving decisions, are they based on the scriptures or it's just kind of based on what you want as you want it? Are you letting God prod you and say, you know what? It's God's money. I'm the steward. I'm just the manager. It's his money. And, and one day I know I'm going to have to give account to this. So I will lay up in heaven some treasures rather here on earth. Is Jesus your foundation socially? Like are your relationships formed around Jesus, even your non-Christian ones? So we just came out of this series that was simply titled Someone, and we thought about people who are outside of Christ so that we'd be more intentional and influential in their lives. Now, are you being intentional and influential in those lives of those folks that are, are not right now allowing Jesus to be their Savior, aren't allowing Jesus to be their Lord? Or are you just kind of like, hey, wherever this goes, well, it'll go. I don't, I don't have any say in this relationship. No, no. Are you, is Jesus' foundation to your marriage and to your kids and to the way that you relate to your coworkers, onward and onward. Here's this last one. Is Jesus your foundation physically? You're like, that's a funny question too. I don't understand that one. Well, it's simple. I, I know we have a temporal body, but we need to be taking care of this body. And right now, it seems like so many of us, we just, we'll pour into our body whatever it is that we think we need to pour into it right now to relieve something, to gain something, to get rid of something. And, and are we considering maybe what God has for us? Like the, the quantity or quality of life, like those kinds of questions. And, all, and also, there's some of you right now, like the gym is your life and you are so fixated on the temple of God that you forgot about the God who resides in it. And, and you, you, you've started to worship the temple rather than worship the Lord who resides there. Just questions. That's all Jesus is trying to do. As he concludes his sermon, just give you some questions, think about it. 
Am I really your foundation? You're seeing those like uh, crazy clickbait things that are called ranker. Like, you know, it says uh, rank. Like, is, is this better than this or is this better than this? And, and then you help to choose. This is, oh, this should be a top spot. No, this is, not, this is not any good. This should be down here. There, there's a ranker for the most encouraging Bible passage of Scripture. thought that was interesting, so I checked on it because I'm into that. And, um, <laughs> and I found that John 16, ranked the top of most encouraging Bible Scriptures. Here's what it says. In this world, you'll have trouble, Jesus says, but take heart. I've overcome the world. I thought, that's really weird that that became the top one. Like, that's strange. But then I got into that, and I realized, wow, these people are smarter than me when it comes to theology, because that comes right on the heels of John 15, 5, where Jesus has this, this whole teaching to his disciples. He says, I'm the vine, and you are the branches. Like, don't get that wrong. Don't get that wrong. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can't do anything. And Jesus says, if you stick with me, you can be an overcomer. That's the teaching. Isn't that crazy? And, and I love this because I think when people were ranking that they're like, we're not ignorant to believe that we're not gonna face problems. We're gonna face problems. Like we're, not gonna, we're gonna face, everyone knows, you're not gonna escape problems. We're gonna face, how does he put it in that story? A torrent. We're gonna face a torrent of trouble. A torrent of problems, hardship. She said, that's coming. And we all go, yeah, yeah, we know it's coming. Because why? Why do we know? Because we've even sailed through it, are sailing through it, or about ready to sail back into it. Trouble. Storms. And Jesus says, I've been through the storms. I've been to hell and back. And I overcame it. You can trust me. Remain in me. Stay attached to me. Build the structure of your life on me and you will never be overcome. Will you have problems? Yeah, there's gonna be some storms. That's the story, that's the metaphor. But if you build your life on me, the storms will come, but you will overcome. The problems will come, but you will overcome. The torrent will come, but you will overcome. Why? Because Christ Jesus is a victor and he has overcome. And when you remain in Christ, you can overcome as well. You will be knocked down maybe, but you will never be knocked out when you are connected to Christ and he's the foundation of your life. So here's the teaching. When you construct your life on the foundation of Jesus and his teaching, you will overcome. No storm will ever destroy you. And Jesus says, that's why I'm so concerned about those who just say Lord with their lips, but not with their lifestyle. And out of the greatest compassion, he says, build on me and be an overcomer. Friend, today you might be someone that has yet to build their life on Jesus. And I'm inviting you today to give your life to him. To build the structure of your life on the greatest foundation. The foundation of the one who has conquered death, who has conquered sin. Jesus Christ. And couple your belief with baptism. And walk and follow Jesus Christ forevermore. Will you pray with me? God, as we conclude today, give us conclusions of our heart, what we need to do. And what we ought to do. And give us the application and the perseverance to get it done. That this doesn't become a Sunday conviction, but a fuzzy memory on Monday.
Father, that we will consider the cost and create and, and recognize it is so worth relocating to build our lives on the foundation of Jesus. I pray for those today that are considering. I pray for those today that are doubting. I pray for those today that are repenting. I pray for those today that are recommitting. Father, that we will do what it is on our heart that you're compelling us to do today. And we'll follow through with it. In Christ's name.